You're listening to New City's Sermon Podcast. We hope you're empowered and challenged as we root deep in God's Word in order that we might grow in the good news of King Jesus and live as faithful citizens of His kingdom right here in our city. Let's get into the scriptures now. Like, we can start over. We, we can do things anew. We can do things afresh. And we have new goals and new resolutions and things that we want to change in our lives. And that's all good. But I want to ask you this morning to go a little deeper. Your external goals and your resolutions are good, but I, I want to challenge you in 2019 to let Jesus into a deeper place in your heart. To really let Jesus into a deeper place in your soul and change you on a new level. See, I think as we look back on our year, we will inevitably have some things from 2018 that we wish we hadn't done or we wish we hadn't said or we wish we hadn't thought. Every one of us has some skeletons in the closet from 2018. Anybody got skeletons in the closet, things you wish you hadn't done or things you wish you hadn't said? And the challenge for us is we're so scared by those things that we're afraid to even admit that they happened. We're afraid to even admit that they happened because we're too afraid that if we admit that those things happened or we admit that we did those things and then somehow that defines us and then the shame begins to set in. Am I really that person? Am I that bad? Am I, am I that awful? And so we inevitably, as we turn the year, we tend to keep things just below the surface. We tend to keep things hidden, even from ourselves. We have a hard time admitting who we really are. But we can't let shame cripple us. Because Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners like you and sinners like me. He didn't come for people who were fake sinners, he came for real sinners, like you and like me. Jesus came for messed up people who mess things up and make messed up situations. And the amazing thing is that Jesus takes messed up people who make messed up situations and he changes those messed up people and he uses those messed up situations for his purposes because that's who he is. And when we understand that, it really helps us admit who we really are. Because we're no longer crippled by shame as we understand the very reason that Jesus came is for broken sinners like you and like me. Jesus came to live the life that you have failed to live. And he died the death that you deserve to die. And when you trusted him, you become a beloved child of God whose sins are completely forgiven, past, present, and future, and who is used by the Father for his purposes. That's who God is. And when you understand that, you're more willing to let Jesus into the places in your life that you're afraid to let him go because you know he's there to forgive you and change you. I don't want you to spend 2019 avoiding who you really were in 2018. And this morning, I want to ask that you would let Jesus into a deeper place in your life, that you'd let him into the darkness, that you'd let him into the places that you don't want to admit are there, that you'd let him into the places that you're so afraid of the shame and exposure. And what you'll find is if you let him in, he is so gentle and he will change you. And that's what we see in this bizarre 
story. I think this is the weirdest chapter in the entire Bible. In Genesis 38, our characters are Judah and Tamar. Judah, Judah is the brother of Joseph. And when we step into Genesis 38, he has just sold Joseph, his brother, into slavery. And if you remember the story of Joseph, you'll remember that the brothers were gathered around Joseph in that pit. And some of the brothers said, let's kill him. Judah, our hero for today, was the one who said, let's not kill him. Let's sell him as a slave, and then we can make a buck off of him. We're meant to get the fact that Judah is not a good guy. He's reckless, he's selfish, and he's in need of deep change. And though the story that we're about to look at is a bit like watching a train wreck, it's so helpful because it can help us see how God takes messed up people and their messed up situations and he changes them and uses their brokenness for his purposes. I'll warn you though, there are some adult themes in this chapter, which is why I asked the kids to go out. If there's any kids left, I'll do my best to put it over their heads, but I'm going to pray right now, and then we'll get into the story. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have come on our behalf. You've come for broken people like us who desperately need grace. I pray this morning that you would be with me as I dig into this text, and that you would change us all as we see you afresh. Lord, help us not to be afraid. Bring change and transformation. Make us new people again. And all God's people said. All right, as our story starts out, I said that Judah has just sold Joseph into slavery. And we see that Judah starts off by wandering away from his family. And this isn't just any family. This is the family that God has said, that family I'm going to use to bless the entire world. And so when Judah walks away from his family, he's not really just walking away from his family, he's walking away from what God wants to do with his family. Verse 1 starts off by saying, at that time Judah left his brothers and settled near an Adulamite named Terah. There Judah saw the daughter of a Canaanite named Shua. He took her as a wife and slept with her. She conceived and gave birth to a son, and he named him Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to another son and named him Shelah. It was at Chazib that she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. Say Tamar. Now Ur, Judah's firstborn, was evil in the Lord's sight, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, sleep with your brother's wife, Perform your duty as her brother-in-law and produce offspring for your brother. I told you it was a weird passage. Judah was part of a very special family. It was part of the family that God had selected to bless the entire world. And Judah sells his brother Joseph into slavery and then walks away from his family and marries a Canaanite woman, a woman who does not worship the same God that his special chosen family worships. He's not supposed to marry her, but he does, and he has three sons with her. Judah chooses another Canaanite woman named Tamar for his firstborn son to marry. Son number one marries Tamar. 
Now, we don't know what the son was up to, but we know that he was evil. We know that he was wicked. You can imagine being married to someone who was just categorized as evil or wicked. We don't know what he did, but we know it displeased the Lord, and the Lord took his life. The Lord took his life. And what, what the second brother was supposed to do, what Judah's second son was supposed to do in that situation was then marry Tamar, marry his older brother's widow. And the reason that he did that, the reason that that was part of the culture was that woman without a husband was totally vulnerable. She had no one to protect her. She had no way to make money. And so the responsibility of the second son was to marry his older brother's widow and take her in and care for her and take her as his wife, but also to have children with her so that the child would represent the deceased older brother. Complicated, I know. Do you remember a little bit of this from the story of Ruth when we went through that in September? Judah tells his second son, marry Tamar and have a child with her, and that child will represent your older brother, and then his name will not be wiped out. But if second son, if the second son has this child with Tamar, he is going to have to front the money for this child, but it won't be his child, it'll be his deceased brother's child. So, here's where it gets interesting. He sleeps with Tamar in a way where she does not get pregnant. And so he denies Tamar her right to have this baby and be part of the family and participate in God expanding this family that was to bless the entire world. And the Lord sees that this second son is having sex with Tamar, but doing it in a way where she does not get pregnant, and he finds that to be evil. And the Lord takes the life of the second son, just as he did the first. So, everybody still with me? Got your seatbelts on. <laughs> I told you this was a real passage. Verse 10 says what Judah did next. What he did was evil in the Lord's sight, so he put him to death also. Then Judah said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Remain a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah, that's son number three, until Shelah grows up. For Judah thought, he, that's Shelah, Shelah might die too like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. Just to recap, Judah has sold his brother into slavery. Judah has abandoned his family. Judah has married a woman that he's not supposed to marry. He has raised two wicked sons, both of them have been killed by the Lord. The third son should marry Tamar as a godly practice in order to preserve Tamar and care for her and carry on the family line. But for some reason, Judah thinks that it's Tamar's fault that his sons are dead. So he says, Tamar, go live with your dad. When my third son is grown, you'll marry him. He has no intention of giving the third son. No intention. He's deceiving her, even though he's obligated to give that son to Tamar. Tragedy then strikes Judah, and Tamar sees an opportunity. She sees an opportunity to get justice for herself. She has a right to bear a child for the family. She sees an opportunity to have a baby that she didn't have with the first son or the second son, and she sees an opportunity to take part in this family that God has blessed. Now, I know that you think the story has already been interesting, 
But this is where it really gets interesting. This is where the story turns into Jerry Springer. <laughs> Let's go ahead and read on. Verse 12. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had finished mourning, he and his friend Harah, the Adulamite, went up to Tinma to his sheep shearers. Judah's wife has died. He grieves. He takes a trip. Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's clothes, she veiled her face, she covered herself, and sat at the entrance to Anim, which is on the way to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had grown up, she had not been given to him as a wife. When Judah saw her, that's Tamar, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He went over to her and said, come, let me sleep with you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, what will you give me for sleep? What will you give me for sleeping with me? I will send you a young goat from my flock, he replied. But she said, only if you leave something with me until you send it. In other words, if you're going to pay me later, you got to give me something now to guarantee that you're gonna pay later. What should I give you, he asked. She answered, your signet ring, your cord, and the staff in your hand. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. She got up and left, then removed her veil and put her widow's clothes back on. Judah's wife has died, he's grieving, he takes a trip, Tamar sees that she is not going to be given that third son, so she takes matters into her own hands, and she dresses up as a prostitute. She meets her father-in-law as he's traveling. He doesn't know it's her. He makes a pass at her. They sleep together. She becomes pregnant. She has asked for his signet ring and his cord. That means nothing to us, but that's like handing over your driver's license and your credit card. It's identifiable. It's unique to Judah. She has something that's personal from him. Judah has continued in this path of recklessness and self-centeredness. He doesn't even realize that he's having comfort sex with his own daughter-in-law. Judah is a complete disaster. He's a complete disaster. And here's a critical moment in this bizarre passage. Because inevitably we go, well, is the Bible saying it's okay what Tamar did? No, of course not. But what we are meant to see is that Tamar is trying to get justice for herself. She's trying to participate in this family that God is going to use to bless the entire world. Her calling was to have a child and continue the line of son number one. She was denied that by son number two and wasn't given son number three, so she goes to Judah. The Bible isn't saying that these things are all right. It's just telling us what happened. But we're meant to com compare Tamar to Judah. We're meant to see Judah, who deeply needs change in his reckless self-centeredness. He uses people. He runs away from his family and from God's purposes. And because Judah needs deep change in his life that he cannot give himself, he's just going to make a bigger mess than he already has. And so what he tries to do 
is cover up what he did. He sends his friend back to the place where he slept with Tamar, still not realizing it was his daughter-in-law. His friend looks for Tamar. He has the goat with him, the traitor. He hopes to get the items back that can identify Judah, but his friend cannot find this prostitute. And so he comes back to Judah and just says, I couldn't find her. And Judah says this in verse 23, let her keep the items for herself, otherwise we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send this young goat, but you couldn't find her. What a mess. <laughs> what a mess that Judah is trying to cover up. He's unable to see what he did. He's unable to see who he really is. He has lost God as his reference point. He doesn't see how abusive he's being to Tamar, both when he knows her as Tamar and when he knows her as the prostitute. For, for Judah, it's about cover-up, not change. It's about cover-up, not the deep change that he needs. Look what he says. Just let it be, otherwise we will become a laughing stock. Shame over what he has done is keeping Judah from getting the change that he deeply needs. Shame keeps us from the deep change that we need. Shame is a powerful thing in our lives. We often cannot admit to ourselves who we really are because we don't want to admit to others who we really are. And we don't admit to others who we really are because we don't want to admit to ourselves who we really are and what we've really done. And therefore, we don't change. We don't change because we're too ashamed to admit what needs changing. Like Judah, we do a cover-up. And what's funny about Judah's cover-up is it's not just avoidance, it's also a cover-up with self-righteousness. Judah has no ground to be self-righteous. He has no ground in his life to think that he's more righteous than anybody else, and yet he will. Yet he will. Look what he does next. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, has been acting like a prostitute, and now she's pregnant. He still has not connected the dots. That baby's his. Judah says, bring her out and let her be burned to death. Now that is some blindness. That is some shame that is covered up with self-righteousness. He calls Tamar out for getting pregnant as a prostitute, not realizing that he's the one that went to see the prostitute and got her pregnant. He's blind to himself and he hears Tamar's sin and he doesn't realize that his sinfulness is tied up in her sin. Make no mistake, Tamar's sin was sinful. Tamar's sin was sinful. But what we hear, what we see here is Judah's shame and self-righteousness on display. He tries to cover up who he really is by perceiving himself better than Tamar. Just like Judah, you and I fail to put God's purposes first in our lives. We don't take care of others, instead look out for ourselves. We give our sin a pass while we judge what others do 
And then we stop being honest with God about some of the darkest places in our own hearts. And when we get into those things in our life, we can't help but experience shame. It's just part of being human. But we're so terrified about those things being exposed that one of the ways we hide them is we see ourselves as better than other people. We hide our shame with self-righteousness. And when we hide our shame with self-righteousness, that also blocks us from the deep change that you and I really need in our lives. We never get to the real issue because we're too busy in our mind thinking about how we're better than other people as a way to cover up who we really are. This is the, one of the reasons I would encourage you as you make resolutions for 2019, be reflective in how you do that. I have resolutions for 2019. I have goals for 2019. But I also realize that my resolutions can just be a way of covering up who I really am. I resolve to lose weight, but I'm afraid to admit that I can't stop eating. I resolve not to date as casually, I'm not talking about myself, of course, but I resolve to not date as casually, but I don't want to acknowledge that I'm desperate to be in a relationship. I resolve to help more people, but I can't admit that I'm really doing it just to get people to love me. Be reflective as you make resolutions, because oftentimes you're just using them to cover up something deeper that the Lord wants to get to and wants to change in you. And it isn't in those darker places that we really need the light of God's grace in our life to see lasting change. God is going to change Judah, but he's going to use Tamar to expose him in order to change him. In verse 25, if we can flip to the next slide. As she was being brought out, she sent her father-in-law this message. So she's being brought out to be burned by Judah. And she sends a message ahead to Judah that says this, I am pregnant by the man to whom these items belong. And she added, examine them, whose signet ring, cord, and staff are these. Can you imagine that? Judah's about to burn his daughter-in-law, and she gets a message that I'm pregnant by whoever's credit card this is. And he looks at the credit card, and his name's on it. But that is a deep moment when change actually begins to happen in Judah. Tamar is admitting that she has prostituted herself out, but when Judah recognizes these things as his own, he sees himself as he really is. He sees the complete disaster that he is and how he's been covering up the actions that he's done and the way he's hurt Tamar. The blinders come off, the darkness is exposed, the shame is uncovered. He sees his self-righteousness as a sham. And he says this, Judah recognized those things and said, she, Tamar, is more right than I. She's more righteous than I am, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not know her intimately again. Judah says, she is more righteous than I, since I did not fulfill my obligations to her, since I sinned against her, since I did not give her the justice she deserves, since I kept her from participating in God's purposes. 
And that's really an amazing statement considering everything that Tamar has done. She's prostituted herself. She's deceived her father-in-law and set a trap for him and seduced him. And yet in that moment, change begins to happen in Judah because he sees who he really is. And he stops covering over his sin with self-righteousness, but begins to see Tamar as more righteous than he is. Change is beginning to happen. He sees that he should have taken care of Tamar, and he shouldn't have lied to Tamar. And he begins to see that he should have given his third son to her so that she wouldn't be alone, and so that she could bear a child and participate in God's purposes. He's no longer concerned with the hurt she has done to him, but with the hurt that he has done to her. Change is happening even as Judah names and confesses his sin. Christians have always believed that there's something powerful about confessing our sin, about naming what it really is, about seeing it from God's perspective not just hiding it, but actually saying, here it is. This is what I've done. This is what I've thought. This is the attitude of my heart. I see it as wrong, and I'm going to name it. If we do something that God calls sin, the way to change is by calling it what God calls it. And that's what Judah does here. But the Bible also teaches that part of change happens with something called repentance. Repentance simply means a turn away from something towards something else. A turn away from a habit or sin or behavior that's not pleasing to God and turning to God in his love and his grace. And that is exactly what Judah does. It says he did not know her intimately again. This was a patriarchal society. He could have known her again. But as he confesses his sin, and as he turns away from it, he chooses not to know her sexually again. I love the train wreck of Judah's life because so often our lives are like that just below the surface. And we're really afraid to go there. We are really afraid to go there. Maybe your year wasn't quite as a disaster as Judah's. I hope it wasn't. But maybe you slept with someone when you weren't married to them. Maybe you slept with multiple people who you weren't married to. Maybe you have patterns in your life that you know are not honoring to God. Maybe it's your speech. Maybe you gossip and slander people when you're, they're not looking. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe you have an attitude of bitterness or unthankfulness to the Lord. Maybe it's in your habits of eating or drinking. Maybe it is what you do when no one is around. Could you be afraid to confess those things and turn from them because you're stuck in the shame from them? Could it be that you're afraid to get honest because you're afraid that God won't change you? Could it be afraid that you're afraid to name them because you're afraid that God won't change you, that you're stuck the way you are? Friends, this is not the God we serve. When you confess your sin and you turn away from it and you turn to God, you find a God 
of mercy and love and forgiveness who is committed to change sinners like you and me. You have to read to the last 10 chapters of Genesis to see how this happens for Judah. And it's honestly kind of murky throughout that, but I'll tell you what happens. After his sin is exposed in this situation and after he confesses it and turns from it, he is changed into a completely different person. What we see in, by Genesis chapter 43 is that he's back with his family. He's participating with the family that God has chosen. And rather than shirking his responsibility, he is taking responsibility. He's bearing the weight of the family on him. He's saying, if this family fails, I'll take responsibility. He is making promises and he's keeping them. He is offering to carry the responsibility of anything that goes wrong with the family. In other words, Judah is a changed man. He's gone from self-serving to self-sacrificing. He's gone from self-excusing to taking responsibility. He's gone from self-deceived to being very conscious of the needs of others. Judah gets changed. And we only get hints of how this happened throughout the story. But we know it's because of God's mercy to messed up people who make messed up messes with their lives. It's God and his grace that changes Judah. And though that's kind of unclear through the story of Judah and the story of Joseph, Joseph, it should be crystal clear for you and I. Because we live on this side of the cross. We live on this side of the cleansing blood of Jesus who died for our sin and rose again that he might bring new life to you and me. Jesus himself said, I come not for the righteous, but for sinners. And if we're willing to turn to him and confess our sin, he loves to change us. Not superficial change, not cover-up change, but deep change in our life. Could it be that we don't get honest about our sin because we don't believe that Jesus actually wants to change us on a deep level? Here's the irony. We think that by hiding our sin from Jesus, it won't hurt us. But actually, the opposite is true. Because of God's grace to us, the only thing that can really hurt us is keeping our sin from Jesus. Tim Keller says it this way, if you can put that quote up. The only character flaws that can really destroy us are the ones we don't admit. The only character flaws that can destroy us are the ones we don't admit because Jesus is so gracious and Jesus is so loving and Jesus loves to meet sinners in their sin and change them. The good news of Jesus is that your sins are completely paid for by his blood on the cross. The penalty of your sin was taken on Jesus and the power of your sin was broken in his death and resurrection. That means that as the reality of the gospel seeps into your life, the reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for you seeps into your life, you will change. He will change you. He will make you someone different in 2019 than you were in 2018. The only thing that can destroy you is keeping your need to change to yourself. Some of us think, but if I confess who I am, that shame's still there. When I lose my spot with God, when I become like someone in the back of the bus or someone who like 
is a second-class citizen to God? That's not God. That's not who God is. Jesus came to live the life you should have lived and die the death you deserve to die. And when you trust in him, you become a beloved child of God. And nothing can change that. And when we turn to God out of our sin, we don't get used less by God. We get used more by God. We get used more. Even if in turning to him, it becomes clear that we're messed up people who make messed up messes. As our chapter comes to a close, we see that Tamar is pregnant and has birth, gives birth to twins. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twins in her womb. The first was named Perez, then his brother came out, and his name was Zerah. Now, if God is going to use a family to bless the entire world, this is the type of story that you'd want to sweep under the rug. Let's get this story as far away from God and what he's doing as possible. Let's choose one of Judah's better brothers, like Joseph. Let's choose that part of the family to bless. Remember Joseph, he ran away from Potiphar, Potiphar's wife. He had the opportunity to sleep with Potiphar's wife and he ran away and he suffered well while he was in slavery and he made all these wise decisions. He's the guy that God should choose to use, but Joseph is not chosen to be the blessing. In Matthew 1, it says that an account of the genealogy of who? This is Jesus' family. The son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by who? Tamar. Judah is chosen. Judah, who has messed up and makes messed up messes. Judah and his sons Perez and Zerah by Tamar are chosen to carry on the family line and be used by God to bless the whole world and be in the family that leads to Jesus Christ. God used this messed up guy with a messed up story to bring about Jesus. And as you look towards 2019, rest in this. This story shows that God takes messed up people like you with messed up stories and he'll change you and he'll use your messed up story for his purpose. Barry Henning said it this way, the only thing that can keep you from participating in God's purposes is a failure to repent and believe the gospel. Let that encourage you as you think about the changes you need in your life this year. Don't hide them. Don't make resolutions to cover them over. Don't get stuck in the shame or defend yourself with self-righteousness. Confess those areas. Bring them into the light. Don't be crippled by the shame because what Jesus wants you to name what it is and receive forgiveness as you turn away from it. But then believe the good news of God's grace to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life you should have lived and died the death you deserve to die. And so in him, you are fully accepted. Through Jesus, you are a beloved child of God. Because of Jesus, you are empowered to live a new life. He loves you. He is changing you. And would you give your life afresh to him today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this amazing story of a messed up man and the messed up messes he made. 
And Lord, we're often there as well. We often make messed up messes. And I pray that today you would remind us that our messed up messes don't keep us from you. The only thing that keeps us from your love is when we hide our messed up messes. Thank you for your grace. In your name we pray, amen.